You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. So I'm pumped that we're in a, we're in a new series now. We just finished up Advance, had an incredible Vision Builders Month. And now we're coming into Religion Rehab. And already I love it through the communion message, through the tithe message, through the worship. Everything is talking about this one thing, relationship over religion. And as I was preparing for this message, I started to look up the definitions because I like to know what I'm talking about before I talk about it. I'm sure you can appreciate that. Uh, So the definition of religion is from dictionary.com is a a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe. The definition of rehab is to restore to a condition of good health, ability to work, or the like. Now, many of us come into relationship with God if you're currently in relationship with Jesus, or definitely this is you if you're not in a relationship with God, with pre-existing ways of thinking about Christianity. In other words, you probably have said or do say things like this if you're not a Christian yet is, you know, I think Christians are all blank. And some of you that might be, you know, obviously those who are believers now, it's a good thing because you understand the whole perspective. But before I got saved, my, you know, before I became a Christian, I thought Christians were, my blank was a little bit different. Uh, My blanks were hypocrites, were they believe in fairy tales, were all these different things because I only saw one side of the story. And some of us, when we, obviously, I think all of us, when, just like when we're first born, when a baby's in its infancy, it's in its most purest form, it's not dirtied by the world, and all those kinds of things, in the same way that when we begin our relationship with God in its infancy, it's, it's in a very, you know, obviously pure form, but along the way, because we live in a fallen world, you know, apathy, offense, life just happens to us, and it can create some rifts in between our relationship. I would love what John Day was saying this morning during worship was, we don't need to overcomplicate it. God said there's nothing between us. There should be nothing between us. And so maybe you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I, I don't know. I used to walk. I, I just, I might not have my connection with God as tight as I, as tight as it used to be. Well, the good news is there's nothing standing between you. Jesus is the bridge and he makes it really simple. Um, you will know though, if this is you in terms of if you're not as connected to God, because there's an area or multiple areas of your life that are fruitless because in order for us to produce fruit, we must be connected with the one who is the producer of the fruit. John 15 verse five says, I am the vine meaning Jesus, you are the branches, us. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. So this series, if, if we were to sum it up, if we were to talk about what, what is this series meant to do for our lives, it's really intended to help us recalibrate, restore, and revive our beliefs surrounding our relationship with God, as well as our actual relationship with God in and of itself. And so the title of my message today if you're taking notes, which I recommend, is the challenge of choice. Touch your neighbor and say, the challenge of choice. Touch me and say, you got a choice. So typically, the church and other ideological institutions such as Islam, Hinduism, all those other things, um, they're classified by the world as religion because they are really no more than just a set of beliefs about the universe. However, what I've found in four years of following Jesus is that 
Christianity is not just a set of beliefs about the universe, even though it has a set of beliefs about the universe. What I found in Christianity in its most simple form is the human experience completed and come full circle because it's reconnected with the person who created us of Jesus Christ. And I think it's that simple. It's the full human expression the way that God intended it to be. And our creator God actually designed your life, my life, to work. What a crazy thought. He designed it to be fruitful. He designed it to be fulfilling. And this is where, if you're religious or if you're an atheist or whatever, this is where I usually get hung up, where if you think that that's not, like, that God wouldn't want that. But the only way that happens is if you think that God or whoever you, you know, people coexist, that whole thing. Um, If you think that he is impersonal or he's like the universe, because the universe isn't a person, but that couldn't be further from the truth because God is a father in heaven who loves you, who is for you, and is for you even if you don't believe in him yet. So that's your good news. So simply, that's what God intends for us, for our lives to be fruitful and fulfilling. And the question always comes up, and it came up for me, is, okay, if our lives are meant to be fruitful and fulfilling, why would they ever not be? In other words, if we're created by a perfect God, why would our lives ever be anything but perfect? I mean, I grew up and I saw Christians that weren't necessarily living a perfect life, even though they professed a perfect God. And it's impossible to live a life of perfection the way the world sees it here, but I do believe that we can live a life perfect of peace, perfect of joy, perfect of pray, perfect of purpose. And so I think that's what we're meant to do because in reality, if we were to live perfect lives, the only way that would ever happen is if we lived in religion. Follow these rules, get these results, and God would have to be a computer because that's literally what computers do. You enter this thing, you get this result. That's it. But we have to remember God is not a computer. He's not a universe. He is a loving father whose ultimate desire is relationship. And in order for relationship to exist, there must be a choice made to engage in that relationship. So God gave us free will. From the very beginning, he gave us free will. And so the answer comes in terms of why don't we live perfect lives, all these things, like all of our lives should be perfect if we're Christian or immediately once we be met Jesus. I don't know about you, but my life didn't get perfect right away when I got saved. Did anybody? Okay, good. I'm not on my own. Okay, one guy. Yeah, I believe that. Rich. <laughs> and, uh, but the reality is the same way that God gave us the choice of free will and relationship with him, he also had a perfect plan for how we're supposed to live our lives. It's called the word of God. That's why he gave it to us. He left a manual for us to live this life, the perfect human experience. However, because he is a free will, because he's a relationship God, he's the God of relationship, he also gave us the choice whether to live that out, his perfect will, his perfect plan, or not to live that out. And that choice is on us. So in order to first understand how this all kind of got messed up a little bit, from the sense of the world fallen, we need to go back all the way to when God first created man. He created Adam and his likeness, then having a relationship with Adam and just Adam. He realized it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Have you ever, if you're a guy, have you ever been home on the weekend and you have nothing to eat because your wife's out of town? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I got to eat cereal all weekend, but thank God she cooks well and she leaves instructions when she's gone. 
So then God created Eve out of Adam. And it was just them two with a bunch of animals, bunch of trees, bunch of livestock, and God. So they had perfect unity, perfect relationship, a common union, communion, common union with God and common union uninterrupted, undiluted with one another. But obviously, just like any of us, it wouldn't take them long to screw it up. And we all know the story. God gave them just a few instructions. He said, have dominion over all of this. You can eat whatever you want. Just don't touch, don't eat that tree. Don't eat the fruit off that tree. And of course, Eve gets deceived. We all know. She eats the apple and sin, right? But the question I wanted to ask and I started thinking about was why did she even do that? Like you're in a perfect place, a perfect environment. She was plugged into church. But why did she choose to listen to that voice that deceived her? And it's really simple. It's always an identity issue. It's always been an identity issue. It is an identity issue now, and it always will be until Jesus comes back. You see, she was deceived that she wasn't like God. It was her, Adam, God, animals. No other human to compare herself to, no Instagram story to look at and be like, wow, my life isn't like that, doesn't look like that. It was her, Adam, God, animals, that's it. And yet she was still deceived that she wasn't like God. She wasn't enough. She didn't mount up to what she was supposed to be. And so how much more would we be susceptible to that same voice going off in our head, saying that we aren't righteous enough, that we're not this enough, that we're not that. And that's where religion, that's where this, this, this nasty, evil spirit of religion comes into play, because it'll tell you, you've got to do all these things to measure up. You've got to do that, you've got to do that, you've got to come to church this many times, you've got you to pray this prayer, you've got to do all these things just to be like God. The devil's goal is to create separation. So, he says, you have to be perfect, when in reality, perfection came and died on a cross 2,000 years ago, so all I had to do was say, I believe in him, and that his righteousness, his right standing with the Father, his sonship, his position, his blessings, his favor would flow through my life, that's all. It's really simple. But the devil wanted to complicate it. It's the same religious spirit that existed then in the serpent in the garden. Is the same religious spirit that yelled crucify him in a court 2,000 years ago from a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. And Pharisee, literally translated, means separated ones. It was intended to mean we are separated. We are exclusive. We are separated from unholiness. But what happens is when you separate yourself from the community and the people of God, you end up separating yourself from God. And so that same spirit that yelled crucify, that same spirit that convinced Eve that is the same spirit that exists today and tries to manifest itself in controlling and manipulating the body of Christ, thankfully not here, to believe that you've got to do all these things. You'll never mount up. You can't walk in a church. You, you, all, like I believed before I got saved, I believed if I walked into a church, I was going to burn up. Maybe not literally, but I knew people, I thought people would judge me. I thought people would ridicule me. I thought people would say, you were just in the club. And now you're, but that's not here. There is a grace because my Bible says that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. And so while the devil would try and do everything to separate, God just wants to make it easy to unite us. In a moment, mankind's perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with humanity was torn apart. So God's solution, obviously, to saving the world was simply restoring that which was torn apart. 
Which is why the cross is the perfect picture. If we look at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came down fully God, fully man. Here's why. In order to restore relationship with God, he had to be fully God, vertical, the being. The second thing he had to do would be fully man in order to restore perfect relationship with humanity to get us back to communion, common union with one another. You see, I found that if those two things work in my life, if connection with people and connection with God works, my life works. Because ultimately, what's heaven going to look like? Pure, undiluted, peaceful relationship with God and pure, undiluted, peaceful relationship with other people. It's why Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's why the thing that God says he hates the most is division. Because it's a spirit of religion that tries to separate. It tries to divide the people of God. It tries to divide us from God. It's like a parent. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a parent yet, but I am a son. And I know that my family, the greatest priority in our family, in our unit, was we love each other in terms of I love my parent, and then we love one another. I knew if those two, th- that's, that's what they really cared about. And um, it wasn't a Christian family, so obviously God wasn't necessarily a part of that. But those are the two things that God sees for his family, for us. A.K.A. love God, love people. How many have heard that before? We've all heard that before, right? We see this really emphasized in Matthew verse 20, or chapter 22, verse 36. So the context of the scripture is a lawyer is coming to Jesus, trying to get some clarity around the commandments. Because the commandments were given to people from God. There were 10. By this time, there were 613. What does that tell you? A spirit of religion had come in and had wanted to complicate, wanted to create a gap, a separation of this is all you have to do. No wonder the religious people like faked everything. There's no way you could complete 613 laws. And so an attorney, and there's a reason they have a lawyer, one of the smartest people in that city there's a reason that the Bible articulates it's this person that was asking for clarity because if anyone was going to get it, it was going to be him. So verse 36, he said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which one is the most important? I can't do all 613. I think I can do one. (laughs) Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love God. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. And these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. You see, Jesus is really nice to us. He says, I'm going to keep it simple. If you can get this right, your life will work. If you can get this right, you will change the world. If you can get this right, you'll change your country. If you can get this right, you're going to change the state of California in Jesus' name. If you get this right, you're going to change the city of San Diego. If you get this right, you're going to change North County. If you get this right, you're going to change your family and you're going to change your marriage. Someone say amen. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Alex, love God, love people. I've seen it on a lot of shirts. I've sung a lot of songs about it. I'm all about it. Love God, love people. Thanks for keeping it simple. But how do I live that out? What does my journey look like with God, with people, working this thing out on this great commission? Well, I'm glad you asked, Pastor Samuel. I'm glad you asked. I think the answer of how we can do this is found in a picture that God gives us in the book of Jeremiah, where God is speaking to a prophet named Jeremiah in the Old Testament. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. 
So this is the time when God is speaking to Jeremiah because the people of God are not necessarily listening. Um, and so God is speaking a word of a little bit of correction. Um, there's, there's definitely some encouragement in there too. Um, but this is Old Testament, so mainly correction. And, uh, and he's speaking to Jeremiah through, or the people of God through Jeremiah. So he says, verse, eight, or chapter, verse one, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred, someone say marred, in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel. He made something new, as it seemed good to the potter to make. God made man, and he said they were very good. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, O people of God, O people of C3 North Campus, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. God asks us all this same question. Can I not do with you as this potter? Can I not transform your life? Can I not make beauty from ashes? Can I not work everything that the devil tried to take against you back together for good because I am Jehovah Jireh, I am the Lord, your God, and I am for you. And the reason he asks this and doesn't demand it, you see, God often asks in questions because he's not just a militant commander, he's a loving father. In order for him to move, we have to give him permission to move. And his priority is relationship, so everything to him to perform is a choice that we have to respond with. So I believe that we can have the life God has always dreamed of, envisioned and planned for us, but in order for us to do that, we have to choose his ways, his process, and his priorities, and his choices for our lives and not our own. So point number one is God gives us the choice of connection. The first choice we're presented with is to choose either God's intended vision, purpose, and plan for our life, or our own. If we go to Jeremiah 18, verse 3, we'll go back to that, that same scripture, verse 3. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. It was marred. Marred meaning damaged. Marred meaning spoiled to a certain extent, rendered less perfect, less attractive our life before God in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel. He made it again into something new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. And it seemed good for the potter to make. You see, God's plan is to take our life, our old life, from marred, from disfigured, from dysfunctional, from disrupted, depressed, all the way into something completely new. He wants to take the old and make it new. And his plan is for it to be good. You see, before clay comes into the hand or the contact with the potter, it is completely useless. It has no purpose. It has nothing that it can actually be of use for if it's just sitting there. And that's a parallel of our lives before we actually meet Christ, before we come into relationship with him. And from an eternal perspective, everything that we do, all that we have, all that we accumulate, everything is actually rendered useless before we come to Jesus, before we come into relationship with him, from an eternal perspective. And so 
when we choose to surrender our life to God, when we choose to be in relationship with him, the master potter begins to show us the vision he intended for us in the very first place. And we see this in a picture in Luke chapter five. It's when Jesus first calls his disciples. So let's start in verse five. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from him and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat out and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon Peter answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. We have toiled all night. Before I met God four years ago, before he found me, I had spent 22 years of my life toiling. I had spent 22 years of my life wasting away, thinking I was making headway, but it's hard to make headway if you're not in alignment with the actual direction you're supposed to be headed. And so Peter's saying, I've been toiling, we've been toiling, we've been trying, we've been trying on our own strength. I wonder if there's an area of your life where you've been trying in your own strength that you just can't seem to get anywhere. God's saying, will you trust me? And so Peter says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, their net was breaking, the boat was breaking, paraphrasing, obviously, verse nine, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, which they had taken. It was a lot of fish, like more than they get in a day for sure, probably more than they get in a week and maybe even more than they get in a month. So it was obviously supernatural. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. A moment of choice, a moment of choice. You see, everything can change in a moment of choice. Peter just had a catch of a lifetime. He thought, okay, I now understand this. I gotta go out deep. I gotta let out my net. I gotta do this. Okay, I think I can, I could probably do this again. I've got a moment of choice. I can either stay here with this catch, with this provision, with this, or I can choose to follow God. I can choose to follow him. You see, you can prosper with the principles of God. The word of God is activated in the earth. So anybody that takes it and utilizes and activates it, they can use it. God instilled rhythms. He instilled seed harvest and time. He instilled all of that. And so that's why personal development, that's why people study it because it's actually the word of God. It's all stemmed from there. And so when people activate that and use it, they can create wealth. So you can have and operate in the principles of God. You can prosper with it without being in relationship with God, but you cannot have the peace of God. You cannot have the presence of God and you cannot live in the purpose of God, unless you are in relationship with the person of God, who is Jesus Christ. And that is 10,000 million times more valuable than just to prosper, even though he wants you to do that as well. You see, before I got saved, I was operating, I was beginning to operate in the principle of God through self-development and personal development because it all stemmed from him, but I had no peace, I had no purpose, and I definitely didn't have the presence of God anywhere I went. And so I knew that something was missing, and that very thing was the person of Jesus Christ. You see, two things happened when Peter made the choice to follow and connect with Jesus. And the same two things happen when you and I do that. Number one, he began connected with the God vision for his life. Jesus said, you are now a fisher of men. You see, when you meet Jesus, when you encounter Jesus in a moment, it was immediate. It wasn't like a it, it, it wasn't like this later thing. It wasn't a month later. It wasn't 10 years. It wasn't when Peter got his act together. Right. Immediately, 
God showed him a picture and a vision of who he was calling him to be, a new vision. And I believe all of us, when we, are, when we encounter Jesus, we see a picture. We see something. God shows us a new identity. God shows us a new vision. He says, you are blessed. You are the head and not the tail. You are above only and not. He says things about you. He shows us things. And sometimes they, may be so, they might be so big you think you pictured it yourself. But I'm telling you, that God dream, that God vision, it's from him. And stepping into it is the greatest thing you can do to honor him. So number one, he got the God vision. Number two, he became connected with the people and the community of God, a.k.a. the other disciples, a.k.a. the church. Notice, he didn't get to pick the people he surrounded himself with or that God had called him with. Those people were chosen for him. And I hear a lot of the times, potentially not, not really here, mainly just on social media and different things, you know, people complaining about the church or complaining about this or complaining about that. But the reality is Jesus chose the people in your connect group. Jesus chose the people you serve on team with. Jesus chose the people you went through pathways with. Jesus chose the people who show up to men's prayer and women's prayer for you to do life with. Now, they may not be perfect because nobody is, but they're who God put there. And so allowing people, not everybody, some people, into your world is the healthiest thing you can do. Now, point number two, God gives us the choice of development. You see, once we discover and connect with the vision, purpose, and plan of God for our lives through relationship with Jesus, his church, and his people, God begins the molding and the shaping process. If we go to Jeremiah 18, verse 5, we'll go back to that, but verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel." You see, development, which is discipleship, discipleship, which is development, is a choice. It's a choice we get to make, but it's actually God's mechanism for developing us into the men, women, sons, and daughters he's called us to be. But in order to be shaped, we must trust our master potter. Because discipleship requires a complete surrender of your life, of my life, into the hands of Jesus. But the challenge is we can choose to receive that, or we can choose to avoid it. The problem is, if you choose to avoid it, you can choose to avoid connect groups, you can choose to avoid doing life with people, you can choose to avoid serving on team, you can choose to avoid doing that thing that God asked you, you can choose to avoid tithing, but the reality is, your life will only be, as with clay, a ball of mush of potential until it's activated by the hands of the potter. Now, when we choose to submit to God's process of development, our potential begins to translate into real impact for the kingdom. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, if that's the only way to destiny, if that's the only way to purpose, if that's the only way to living a life that God had for me, why would anybody choose to avoid being processed? Well, the process isn't pretty. Have you ever seen a potter on a wheel with clay? If not, I think we have a picture we can put up. That's not pretty. I don't want those hands touching me. I don't know about you. But the reality is, Jesus says that his hands and his feet are who? They're us. They're imperfect. Wait, God, you want to put imperfect people, you want to allow imperfect people to touch the most vulnerable, to touch the most intimate, to touch the most difficult parts of my, you want, you, I thought your hands were moisturized. Like, what, what's going on? They're not. And so that's a picture of, our, of us and our lives. But the question is, do you trust God 
enough to allow him to use his hands. Imperfect people. Those hands are calloused. Those hands are rough. Those hands will push a little bit too hard. Those hands might not say the right thing the right way, but they're his hands. Do you trust him enough to allow imperfect people to mold, to shape, and to sharpen you? You see, discipleship is allowing someone, key, asterisk, not everyone, close enough to see your dysfunction, your shortcomings, and your failures, and help you to get back up again and back in alignment with God's will and God's ways. James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, God used someone in my connect group four years ago to help show me that I had a choice if I wanted to move in with the girl I was dating at the time and directly disobey what God had for me in his word, or I could choose to end that unequally yoked relationship and seek him and trust him that he would provide the one that I was looking for. And thank God I did because I have the most beautiful, the most amazing, the most anointed, incredible wife I could ever pray for. So thank God for connect groups. Thank God for men's prayer, where people can prophesy, where people can take a marred life and make it good. God used my team lead three years ago when I was serving on the high team, shout out, that helped me see that I either had a choice to make of stepping into the internship, stepping into what God had for me next, or neglect the call of God on my life in that way. Thank God I did because I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be married to my wife because we met in the internship. And, uh, and I wouldn't be the same person. So thank God that I serve on a team where people prophesy. Thank God I serve on a team where people know me and can call the gold out of me and say, you know what, there's more in you. There's more in you. God's not done with you. There's this next thing. And God used countless people on this platform, like Pastor Lance this morning, sharing the tithe message, where I had a choice to make. I could either live a comfortable life. I could show up to church. I could tithe every once in a while, throw money in the bucket if I felt like it, or I could step out, be obedient in the tithe, and then be radical by participating in Vision Builders, where I got to see the church of God built. The only thing that God is building in this planet, I could see that built, be a part of it, and then in turn, he would build my life. And thank God we talk about money every week. I was talking to Pastor Jesse on the front row this morning and heard another incredible story even before Pastor Lance went up. And then we heard another one about people's lives transformed in this house because of the teaching around this topic. You see, there's a common theme in the lives of people who have been transformed in this house. If you ask someone if their life's been transformed, you'll find out this is probably a common theme. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 12. Two are better than one. Someone say two. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Unless they have an electric heater blanket. But that is not the same if you're married. Verse 12. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cold is not quickly broken. There's a reason God restored not only relationship with himself, but relationship with one another. Because he knew that a twofold cord, yeah, that might be broken. But if I got people in my connect group praying for me, if I've got people that I'm serving with prophesying into me, if I show up to men's prayer to get healing, if I rock up to Sunday and I'm not just in and out and in and out and I actually stay and make community with people, he knows that person ain't getting dragged down. That person's not backside 
and that person will be planted in the house of the Lord, and my promise to them is they will flourish and they will prosper. And that's the life God has for us. And if that's not easy enough, you see, our development may not be painless, it may not look pretty, and it definitely won't be perfect, but it's purposeful. You see, I found that when we surrender to God developing us, it's for our empowerment. He doesn't shape us. He doesn't mold us. He doesn't do all this just for us to sit on a shelf. He does it to empower us into our destiny. The last choice as we close is God gives us the choice of empowerment. We see this final choice play out in Matthew 13, verse 22. We can either choose the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, or we can choose his destiny for us. Verse 22 is talking about the parable of the sower. He says, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So what happens when you choose the world's ways, what looks cool on Instagram over what God says, but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. You see, it was the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches that choked that thorn out. It's the same thing they can do to us. I've asked myself this question before I shared today, and the answer was yes. Have I ever allowed comparison? Have I ever allowed the things of this world, the things that, you know, they're not eternal, but they, they seem important. Have I ever allowed those things to get in the way of what God says? I have. His purpose isn't for you to just acquire riches, acquire wealth, acquire all these things, and then retire on a beach and sip a Mai Tai with a pink umbrella in it. It's not. His purpose is for you to be used by him, for him, as a vessel to carry something. His power, his presence, his message, his gospel, his peace, his favor, his healing, his giftings into your community. So our choice determines our impact in this life and eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but all those things, those acquiring, all that stuff sounds awesome. But what I'd really like is a 30-fold return on my investment in this life. What I would like is a 60-fold return on my investment in this life and in the next. I don't know about you, but I would like a 100-fold investment of what I put in that God would restore in this life and the next. So let's live our lives in a way that reflects heaven. Let's live our lives out of overflow of relationship with God. Let's choose to live in real healthy relationship with God and with people and with his church. Let's choose to be developed through God's process by imperfect people. And let's choose to live for God and whatever he's called us to, to be sent out as a vessel for him. It's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago to die on a cross. And it's why the church exists. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 